This is These Days. I'm Dimitri Gatsiunas. Joe Biden was inaugurated Wednesday as our 46th president. The day was a potent mix of hope and fear. The hope came from the ritual and seductive power of politics on this national stage and from the chance for a truly fresh start, a break from a man whose arrogance and bellicosity and narcissism tainted the office as never before. But for all the relief, including among some Republicans at his departure, reality hung heavily over the proceedings. COVID first, the global chaos left by the outgoing president, a battered economy, climate change in China, and a social media machine that has greedily fed extremism to both sides and brutally divided our country. Amid all of it, I couldn't help but think, and I mean this, Joe Biden, whatever his shortcomings, may be the perfect person to hold us together at this time. The new president in his inaugural address referred to, quote, a winter of peril and possibility. To this weary nation, he spoke of much to repair, much to restore and to heal, but also much to build, and, as he said, much to gain. It's as if we want to believe. Please tell us, we seem to be saying, it can only get better. With Biden on the steps of the Capitol yesterday, there was a strong sense that it could, and perhaps even that it would. Speaking of the Capitol, the building itself and the system it represents, despite the events of two weeks prior, looked magnificent and strong. Very strong. As for Biden's address itself, there are some takeaways. The new president took pains to immediately make this not about him, but about America. Today, he said, quote, we celebrate triumph not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. Unity was a key theme of the day. He returned to it again and again and warned us, quote, for without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury. He took on the fake news that perpetuates lies and hatred, but didn't manage to stare down social media, at least not yet. He spoke of ending this uncivil war and correctly admonished political extremism, white supremacy, and domestic terrorism. Speaking of war, when Biden spoke of heroes buried in Arlington National Cemetery and closed his speech by asking God to protect our troops, he came across as the first Democratic president in ages to have an authentic connection to the military and what it stands for. To millions of great Americans, that really matters. To the woke and BLM activists, he referenced their cause, but only as a small piece of a larger whole. Brilliant. After all, Biden cannot get reelected by aligning himself too much with this movement because he can't build a viable national coalition with it. This last election proved that. But when he spoke of unity and of the need to, quote, hear one another, see one another, show respect to one another, and when he then added, quote, politics need not be a raging fire destroying everything in its path, every disagreement, he said, doesn't have to be a cause for total war. When he said these things, I couldn't help but think of how anathema to all of this the BLM movement is. It felt, at least for that moment, inappropriate to the cause before us. Some other takeaways, independent of the speech and more about, well, these days. 
A country that's as divided as ours, and this is no doubt exacerbated by social media simply as a tool but also with outside manipulation, a country that's as divided as ours is not likely to succeed. Look no further than coronavirus, a collective trauma that should be a mighty unifier. That it hasn't been speaks volumes not just about the outgoing leadership, but about where we consume and how we digest our information. All of us are culpable. Much was made about Kamala Harris and the various firsts she achieved by becoming our vice president. It's a cosmetic victory for those who view the world through racialized and genderized lenses. I'm inclined to place far more importance on whether she can effectively lead our country. And despite the appearance of toughness she seems so intent on crafting, nowhere more apparent than the grandstanding on display during the Kavanaugh hearings, Vice President Harris seems to lack the stature, the credibility, at this time, to lead our country. She proved that in the primaries, and she's done nothing to dissuade me in the time since. My sincere hope is that she replaces her pretenses of confidence with actual humility and grows as a person and as a politician. She's certainly capable, but hardly truly ready for the office to which she's been elected. And it's scary to think right now. We may, in a moment's notice, need her. Speaking of Kamala, and really a side note here, but an important one, I think, nonetheless. Can someone please explain to me how it is that Democrats wish to emphasize how important the example she sets is for millions of Americans? But these same people went out of their way to say how Bill Clinton and his sexual infidelities really shouldn't have ever mattered. It's a kind of selective morality, much like you see when a Trump-supporting Republican talks about principles. A word about the extremists. The notion that those who are diehard for Trump right now will necessarily be the number that will still be there two or even four years from now, I don't buy that. Not at all. Trump doesn't gain power in the years ahead. He merely struggles to regain what he lost yesterday. We talk about a war-weary nation. We are now, despite the recent events, a Trump-weary nation. Even many Republicans are breathing a sigh of relief over his absence. He'll rear his head, for sure, but there are potential candidates now, Sass, Flake, and Pence come to mind, who can attract millions with a more sane, sensible, and responsible politics. We like to talk about finding common ground in our country in an attempt to heal our divisions. I say this only half ironically, but it might do the far reaches of the left and right a bit of good to consider the ways in which they're similar. The common threads? Anti-institutionalism, a sense of disempowerment, coordination and exacerbation by way of social media, or what Senator Ben Sass correctly refers to as clickbait crack. There's a giant need to remake the Republican Party, not simply to divest itself of Trump, but to offer a viable antidote to the Dems. But not all of what Trump offered will just magically disappear. After all, the anxieties in the populace that fueled his rise, especially globalization and automation, are not going away. In fact, they're only getting worse. So a viable candidate would seem to embrace populism, but without all the negativity and demonizing and corruption, a populism that does more to attract allies than enrage enemies. 
Finally, one last thing about Wednesday. I was reminded as Biden spoke of the unique power of our American politics, the reason we and the world tune in. And yet in that moment, I was greeted by a kind of appropriate skepticism, even cynicism. It'll all be for naught, I thought, if our leaders can't work together. And yet I also thought of how Biden opened his speech, his emphasis not on him, a politician, but on us. And I realized the only thing that can get them to work together is if we ourselves, if we the people, lead the way and do that first. For these days, I'm Dmitry Gatsiunas. 